This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. I don't know about y'all, but I like a good story. Do you like a good story? You know, I believe most of us do, simply because we go to movies, we watch programs on television, we read books of fiction. We like a good story. A story where the setting begins idyllic and parad- like a paradise. A story wherein a villain comes and changes all of that and ruins all of that. In that story, a hero is raised. The battle ensues. The hero is victorious, the villain is defeated, and what is the last part of most every story? And they lived happily ever after. We like those stories. We've been hearing those stories ever since we were children. And some of the most classic fairy tales and fables, more often than not, ends with the line, they lived happily ever after. The reason why We like stories like that, quite frankly, is because we have been programmed or created in that way. Because God has basically told his story. And you have it before you in your Bible, on your device, if you have a Bible there. All the way back to the book of Genesis and before in eternity where the Bible begins with the phrase, in the beginning, to the very end of Scripture, where we are at in the next day and the next week here today, the end of the story. We've been programmed to hiss and boo the villain. We've been created to cheer and support the hero. And we want the story to end happily ever after. Not too long ago, my son recommended a movie to me. I don't think he saw the whole thing, but he knows how much I love animated movies, and I do. Were I not a preacher, I would have been a cartoonist at one point. And I love animated movies of all stripes. And Andy said, Dad, I want you to see this Pinocchio movie. It's a new one. And Dad, the animation is incredible. You need to see it. You and mom need to watch it. So one Saturday afternoon, we had all our chores done. We sat down and we watched this Pinocchio movie a few months ago. And Andy wasn't lying. That was an amazingly animated film. It was just sheer artistry. It was a pleasure to look at on the screen. And of course, it was the familiar story of Pinocchio and Geppetto and all of the stuff that goes along with that. And the movie was just beautiful, and it was exciting, and it was, had, had good music. And I was locked in, man. I was watching that thing. Susan was watching that thing. We didn't even get up and get a, got a snack. We were just there. You know it's got to be good if I'm not getting me a snack. Two or three times. But I didn't even get up once. And as we were watching it, the movie was winding down to its climax, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the movie, everybody dies. Everybody died. And I'm sitting there looking at this thinking, what in the world? That's not how I remembered Pinocchio. 
It reminded me of a cartoon I saw on Facebook. It had a guy in the living room, Pinocchio, sitting there, and he was carrying wood, and he said, keep lying, Pinocchio, it's going to be a long winter. You'll, rem that'll, you'll get that later on. But everybody died. And I was not only left ripped off, but I felt almost discouraged. Because that's not how stories are supposed to end. Maybe they thought it was some artistic statement. I thought it was tragic. Because stories to be satisfying and fulfilling need to end happily ever after. Well, I'm happy to tell you the story that God has set forth, the story of human history. Yes, there was an idyllic beginning in the Garden of Eden. But the villain came on the scene, Boo Hiss. And he dragged humanity down and Adam and Eve made their choices and humanity fell into sin. And so paradise was lost. And for millennia, humanity has struggled and failed and struggled and failed. Until God raised up the hero, Christ, God in the flesh, came, lived a sinless life, allowed himself to die on the cross, was buried and rose again from the dead. Cheer the hero. Sin was defeated. The villain was defeated. And as we are going through Revelation, we are seeing the end of the story. And I'm here to tell you that it ends happily ever after. We who know Christ at the end of this story will live happily ever after. And unlike the fictional stories that come and go, this story is the story of humanity, sin and salvation. It is the story of loss and ultimate victory. And that's why I love the book of Revelation. Yeah, there's much in Revelation that's difficult, graphic, dramatic. But at the end of the day, as the old timers like to say, I read the end of the book and we win. In reality, God wins. And so if anything you come from Revelation, if anything you carry now, it is that you have now a perspective on the whole human story. As we finish it up today and next Sunday, we win in the end, and God has won for us. It's still hard to see that, isn't it, though? We're still in the midst of the story. We're still struggling with the contention between the villain and the hero. Even though we know the hero wins, it's still a struggle, and it's still hard. Matter of fact, it's difficult to get our perspective. It's told of a little girl once who was out uh, taking a walk in the evening with her father. And as they were walking along, she wonderingly looked up at the sky and saw the stars in the sky. And she exclaimed to her father, Oh, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be like? And we saw how beautiful the eternal city, as we saw John describe it last week, is. The vibrant colors, the amazing dimensions. We saw all sorts of amazing and wonderful things that even now our finite minds just can't get a hold of. And yes, as you look up in the sky and see the beauty of the stars and see the beauty outside... Imagine how beautiful it is on the right side. 
of reality. Because in a sense, as little girl pointed out, she didn't realize it, we are on the wrong side of reality. C.S. Lewis goes on to say this and expands on this. He says, at present, we are on the outside of the world. Never thought about that, did you? We're on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the fresh, we discern the freshness, freshness, excuse me, and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. I mean, you get up and see the sunrise and a fresh morning and the purity of the nature, nature before you, but it doesn't make you and I fresh and pure. We cannot, we cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, through Jesus Christ, we shall get in. Today, we can only stand outside and only see a piece, only see a portion as we read Scripture. But as we saw last week, the splendors are there. Until then, we are on the outside. We're on the wrong side of the world. Last week, we described what heaven, what eternity is going to look like. And I don't know about you, but I get excited about it. As a matter of fact, more often than not, when I do a funeral service, I can't help but describe what that loved one who's gone on before us is experiencing. Because oftentimes we feel sad for that person who has passed, but if they knew Jesus Christ, bless God, we should celebrate for them. Because they are experiencing things, seeing things, hearing things that we cannot imagine. And so today as we get into Scripture, as we look in Revelation 22, last week we described what heaven is going to look like. But John goes on and tells us exactly what heaven will be like. What will it be like living in eternity? What will it be like living in the very presence of Almighty God with no flesh to separate us, no temple wall to separate us, no clouds or atmosphere to separate us? What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like in heaven? Well, he's going to tell us about the environment. And I want you to notice the word that keeps popping up as we go through this. First of all, as we get into chapter 22, we'll pick it up in verse 1. And John continues and he said, and he, the angel, showed me a pure river of life, a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The Bible talks here about the fact that in the eternal city, in the new Jerusalem, there'll be a river of life flowing. Now, yes, we read earlier that there would be no more sea. That didn't mean there wouldn't be any bodies of water. Evidently, there'll be a river of life flowing through this grand and, and amazing city. This river of life is interesting because water throughout Scripture has been a symbol of life-giving, a symbol of cleansing and purity. We talked this morning in Sunday school about the ordinance of communion, the Lord's Supper, wherein we commemorate and remember Christ's death and, and burial and resurrection. We remember the broken body and shed blood. The other ordinance we have is the ordinance of water baptism. Now, neither one of these saves. One is for commemoration. One is for declaration. Water baptism is a symbol and a sign to those who are looking on that we identify with Christ. 
He was buried and raised. And as we are buried in the water and raised to freshness and newness of life, we celebrate him and identify with him. Water has been a very large and major type and picture throughout Scripture. And evidently, heaven is going to be dominated by this wonderful river that will flow right through the center of it. Life-giving, life-bringing. In other words, that is going to be in our focus. Life, purity. Today, that doesn't seem to be the thing. We are enamored with death. We have a culture nation in our world that's enamored with death. It seems like our lives are nothing more than a series of losses and griefs. But the Bible says in eternity there will be life and there'll be a river of life. And later it says as we get to it, he says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. In other words, we will live and we will be alive and there will be no more death. There'll be no more fear of death. There'll be no more talk of death. There will not be the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 tells us. Because Jesus Christ has defeated death. So there will be an eternal flow. It will never stop. And it will be an enriching flow. Every time we drink of it, we'll be reminded of life. Eternal life. Forever life. Because that's the way life was meant to be. Death came because of sin. Death came because of rebellion. Even in our world today, we see death and sickness. And it's not because God's not paying attention. It's not because God is punishing. It's simply because the world is broken and that's the curse, death. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you rebel against me, you will surely die. If you disobey me, you will surely die. Physical death. Spiritual death. Death is separation. But in heaven, there'll be this grand river that will be flowing. And we'll be able to enjoy it and drink of it freely. You know, I go to the grocery store oftentimes, and they have an entire section with bottled water. Now realize this. I'm of another generation from some of y'all. I actually remember when you went to the grocery store, and they didn't have any water at all in the shelves. They had sodas. They had juice. Well, I don't remember water. But now we have bottled water, and I enjoyed. I got a whole refrigerator full in my office. But they have different kinds of water. They have full nutrition water, complete health water, water that comes from the craggles of France that bubbles up water. They got water that you'll pay $4 a bottle for the water. I don't know why. I did that one day. I was stupidly curious. That happens to me sometimes. And I saw this bottle of water and it was like 670 something. And I said, you know what? I got to see. So it was a hot day and I bought this bottle of water, paid the money. Yes, I understand what you're thinking. I get it. I went out to my car, cracked the cap, took a big slug of it. You know what it was? Water. I was waiting for something to happen to me. I was waiting to become suddenly more vigorous and strong and young. It quenched my thirst. The, the, the bottle said it was natural water. You know what? I got that for free when I was a kid. 
We had a French term for it. It was called water hose. <laughs> Can you imagine today if a kid stood in their front yard sucking out of a water hose? Parents would go nuts. That's how we hydrated ourselves back in the day. Amen? Amen. And sometimes we went to a neighbor's house we didn't even know. And subsequently got chased out of the yard that we didn't even know. But we got water for free. But as expensive as this water is, and, 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 and suppose that all the promises, listen, the greatest water you will ever partake of is the water of life. And the Bible says that's going to flow freely. And I'm excited about that because the emphasis is on life. Not only will there be a flowing river of life, but there will also be a tree of life. And we've heard of that before. Let's pick it up. In verse 2, it says, In the middle of its street... On either side of the river was the tree of life. Evidently, this expansive tree is so huge, the river can flow between its roots. It says, this tree of life which bore fruits, 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The tree of life. People often ask me, Pastor, are we going to eat in heaven? Yes, we are. I'm happy to tell you. We saw earlier that there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Usually when I hear the word supper, I'm thinking food, don't you? I think I would be very disappointed, just like that Pinocchio movie. I'd be disappointed said somebody come and ate supper and we had bottles of Evian water sitting there. No, no. We're going to eat. And we're going to be able to eat of the tree of life. Now, where have we heard about the tree of life before? Well, I'll tell you all the way back in the book of Genesis. The tree of life was planted in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had access to that tree. They could eat of that tree, and it was life-giving. But when they ate of the wrong tree, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told them not to eat of, they fell, they were broken, and the world was broken with them. And one of the punishments that they had to endure was they were cast out of paradise. They were chased out of the Garden of Eden and God posted angelic guards primarily to guard the tree of life which evidently was taken and translated later to glory. It says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24 after he had driven them out it says he drove out the man and, and, and he placed cherubim or angels at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. When the fall came, when the curse came, when humanity rebelled, the tree of life was banned from humanity. Had Adam and Eve evidently been able to eat of that tree, they would not have experienced death. But God had posted guards, angelic guards with flaming sword and said, nope, you're done. But you see, when we, when we one day are inhabiting the eternal city, not only will there be a life-giving river of flowing water, pure and crystal clear, but that we'll have the tree of life and we'll be able to eat of its fruit and of its leaves. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there'll be 12 fruits. It's interesting, 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. Perhaps that number is significant. John doesn't signify it here, but perhaps it's significant. Nonetheless, we'll be able to eat and we'll be able to enjoy this fruit Someone asked me, Pastor, what about meat in heaven? 
Well, I remember something that Rick McDaniel once said. He said, well, maybe we won't have steak, but maybe those leaves will taste like ribs. I don't know. Of course, there will be no killing in heaven. There'll be no killing or anything. So I doubt if we'll have pork chops and chicken wings. And bless God, there will be no liver mush. Can I get an amen? Oh, some people are saying, I don't want to go now. That's all right. We probably will still have Duke's mayonnaise, but I don't think we're going to have, we're not going to have any liver mush. But the fruit will be beyond belief and we'll be able to enjoy this. And it's the tree of life. It'll be a life giving experience and continuously for eternity be life giving. And it says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The Greek word here is the word wherein we get our English word therapy from wellness. And see, because we're in heaven, we will already have eternal life. We will already have eternal healing, but those leaves will represent the wellness of the nations gathered, the wellness of the people. Again, just like we won't be concerned with death and dying, we won't be enamored with that, we won't be confused that, by that, we'll be able to enjoy health for all eternity, wellness for all eternity. I don't know how much I can tell you, but I'm looking forward to that. Because like you, we're all cursed with maladies and struggles. Health-wise, some big, some small, but nonetheless, they're irritating to the point sometimes of being catastrophic. But we will live uh, in a world of everlasting life, everlasting joy, and everlasting wellness. What a time that will be. My daughter, when we were going down to Tampa, driving down, she went with us. Andy couldn't go. But she was talking about when my family gets together. She says, well, you, when you and your brother get together, the conversation turns basically to what medications you're taking and what's hurting that day. <laughs> and I thought, no, no, only senior adults do that. And she looked at me and did one of these. I said, all right, I know what you're saying. And we do that. How are you doing? We normally say fine, but are we? Sometimes we're not. I appreciate people who are honest and say, not good, but you don't want to hear about it. Because they're honest about them and me. But anyway, yeah, we're struggling. But one day when we get to heaven, listen to me carefully, there will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no age. We'll be able to enjoy fellowship forever. All of the positive things that we enjoy now will be amplified and magnified in heaven. When you get together with good friends and have a good time of fellowship, having a meal together, or just laughing together, we're going to do that forever. You won't have to worry about going to bed because you're tired. You won't have to worry about meeting a deadline. You won't have to worry about taking your medication. You won't have to worry about the onset of age and struggle. It will be over. That is what eternity is going to be like. That is what heaven, as we call it, is going to be like. Not only is it going to be spectacular in its appearance, magnificent in its dimensions, but it's going to be amazing in its life and wellness. And what a time that will be. The tree of life has been banned since the Garden of Eden, but one day those who know Christ will stand and eat of it. And the eating will be a for enjoyment. 
And guess what? There's not going to be any calories in glory. Amen? Amen. So it'll be dominated by the river of life, by the tree of life. But the most important aspect of life in eternity, and that emphasis, as you probably noticed, is on life, it will be also ruled by the Lord of life. By the Lord of life. As we, it says this, and there shall be no more curse. There shall be no more curse. You know, the Old Testament, the book of Malachi ends with the word curse. Well, the curse is brought up again in the end of the New Testament here. But, but instead of God promising to send a curse, at the end of the Bible, there is no more curse. What is that curse? Well, that curse is death. God told Adam and Eve, when you eat of the tree that I've forbidden, you will die. And not only did that mean ultimate physical death, but it meant more importantly and more drastically spiritual death or separation from God. That's, that's ultimately what death in its broader picture is. The Bible says if we physically die in our sin without having known Christ, we are condemned to be separated in death forever from Him. We've already looked through Revelation about what happens to those who are not saved. It's heartbreaking. I tell you, when I go through this, I can't look at people the same anymore and wonder where will they spend eternity. We talk about when I, I saw actors who had passed away this week, old actors and TV shows, they'd passed away. And I often wonder when they close their eyes in this life, when they open their eyes in the next life, what do they see? Do they see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus reaching out in love to them? Or do they open their eyes in torment, not seeing God anywhere? How, how in the world can we know people who don't know Christ and not pray for them and not try to share the gospel with them? And the thing that's going to be most spectacular about heaven, and we've seen some spectacular things, the grand colors and everything else, the river, the tree. But heaven will be ruled and dominated by God himself. Notice what it says. There shall be no more curse. Death is gone. Notice this. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. You know, I have a sermon that I like to preach from Revelation 4 and 5. I didn't do it in this series, but I call it three reasons why most Christians won't like heaven. Among those reasons is the fact that heaven will be dominated by the presence of God in Christ. You say, Pastor, why wouldn't I like that? Because let's face it, most, many of us, we don't want God dominating our lives now. Oh, we say we love the Lord and we call ourselves Christian. But, it, what it, but when it comes to really making Christ Lord of your life and allowing God to run your life, we often fall short. I've got time for church on Sunday. I've got time to read my Bible. I've got time to pray. God, don't you tell me how to live. God, don't you tell me what choices to make. And we fall, we stumble, we struggle because of our own self-absorption. But in heaven, heaven will be absorbed with God. God will be at the center. God will be at the focus. The Lord God in Christ, our Savior. The Lord of life shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. 
And I love this next line in verse four, and they shall see his face. You know, that's the one thing of God right now that I struggle with, especially when I'm hurting and going through difficulty. And I'll just be transparent. There are days I wish God could just come down and wrap me in his arms and hug me. There are times I can just look at God and see him looking at me and smiling. Yes, sometimes living for Christ is difficult. Walking with God is difficult because we are imprisoned in flesh, separated because of sin. But one day, we will see his face. When I was a little boy, and we were at the pool or we were out doing something, and I was going to do something fun, I always wanted to make sure my dad or my mom were watching me. Did you do that? Dad, look at me. Mom, watch me. You wanted their face to be beaming and proud and happy. Well, listen to me very carefully. My brothers and sisters in Christ, one day in heaven, we will see his face. We will live with him, learn from him, and he will be our Lord for all eternity. Right now, the Bible says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us who believe from the love of God. And Paul gives a rather large laundry list of things. But one day in glory, we will be with him in person. We shall see him face to face. We shall know him as we are known. No more curse and no more night, he goes on to say. Look at it as we continue reading. God will be there. It says, his servants shall serve him, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. They shall live happily ever after. We shall see him. We shall walk with him. As a matter of fact, there'll be no more curse. There'll be no more darkness. What will we do? Well, we will serve him. Serve him doing what? I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't worry about it. Because when I'm in heaven, I'm going to be so satisfied, gratified with God. I don't care. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. Because I see him. And it says we'll be sealed with his names, his name on our foreheads. In other words, we shall be with him and he will be his and he will be ours. As a believer, some of the sweetest, most satisfying, purposeful times in our lives is when we are in deep, rich fellowship with Almighty God. But self gets in the way. The world gets in the way. That doesn't last very long, unfortunately. But one day it will last forever. There will be no self-absorption. There will be no self-conceit. It will all be about Christ. He is the Lord of life. He will provide a river of life, a tree of life. And we will live life as it was meant to be lived. We're not doing that now. No matter what experience you enjoy, no matter what material thing you purchase, no matter what individual you're with, 
you and I are not living life as it was meant to be lived fully and completely until we step on this golden pavement and fall into the arms of Christ. No more curse, no more night. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which condemned everybody because no one's perfect enough to keep the law, having been a curse for all of us. You see, there will be no more death, no more darkness, no more curse because Christ became that curse. The book of Deuteronomy says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I, he became that curse. He was cursed. He didn't deserve to be. He was perfect. He was God, but he took it anyway because he loves you so much. He died and was buried, and three days later he rose again, proving that he was the hero of the story, that he had won the victory of the story. And because of that, one day you and I, if we trust him as our Savior, believe on him to take us to heaven, one day you and I will live happily ever after. John says this again in a sort of broad way in 1 John Chapter 3. In verse 2, he says, that, Are we the children of God? And it has not been revealed what we shall be. In other words, in this life, we can only imagine. If you know Christ now, you're a child of God. God is your father. You're his son. You're his daughter. And yes, there are limitations, physical, human limitations to our understanding of eternity. We've got John's descriptions, and we can kind of get it in our head. But we just, we're just in the dark still, literally, as well as spiritually. The light comes through when we dig into Scripture. We are now, at this moment, the children of God. And it's not been fully revealed. That's why the book of Revelation is called Revelation. It's the revealing of the rest of the story. It's the revealing of the plan and purpose of Christ. It's the revealing of our eternal destiny. We've got that revelation, but the ultimate revelation is waiting for the when we stand at his side in eternity. John said, we are the children of God, but we, we don't know in full yet. But we know. How do we know? We have the promises of God. We have the revelation of God in Scripture, in Christ. But we know that when he is revealed, the book of Revelation is titled the Revelation of Jesus Christ. When he is revealed, look at this, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a wonderful promise. When you read through the book of Revelation, you get it. Yeah, we're going through this world right now, our, our thing right now, we don't, really, we don't really see it as clearly as we'd like to. We are the children of God, praise the Lord, if you know Christ. But full revelation will come when eternity will be with him, and we shall be like him. He has a glorified body now. We will have glorified bodies. He is eternal. We will be with eternal. He is ruling. We will rule with him. We will be like him, and we shall see him. I hear people say, oh, it won't be heaven if Aunt Mary's not there. Oh, it won't be heaven if I can't go fishing. Oh, let me tell you what heaven's going to make. What, you know what's going to make heaven? Christ is going to be there. That's what's going to make heaven. And like Isaiah said back in Isaiah 65, he's created us an eternal place to live and you won't even think about what you've missed 
because you'll be so full of Christ. So John is telling us, yet one day we will see him. So how should we act now in, in light of all of this? What should be our response? What, how should we go forward knowing what heaven's going to look like, knowing what heaven's going to be like, knowing that the curse one day, is, it's been defeated, but one day it'll be eradicated completely. John finishes this in 1 John 3, verse 3, when he said, And everyone who has this hope, this confident anticipation, this hope in him, purifies himself just as he, Christ, is pure. In other words, understanding what heaven and glory is going to be like, understanding what the rest of the story means, understanding that we will live happily ever after. How should that affect me now? Well, I should, I should walk in pureness and newness of life now to the best of my limited human ability. Indeed, it should transform us. How, how can we walk away from this revelation? How can we be exposed to such rich and wonderful and generous truth and be just like we were when we walked in? I said last week, some people say, well, those so, so, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, I'm here to tell you that's a lie. There are some people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, he said that God is going to come one day and melt this earth away and rebuild the earth and make a new earth and a new heaven. He said in that light, what kind of people ought you to be? See, we need to pay attention to this stuff, folks. For instance, we're sitting in this world and the nation of Israel is under attack and people are just doing their stuff. We're sitting in this world and morally our nation is falling apart around our feet and our children are being bought and sold in the marketplace of depravity. We're living in these, in these things and we know the story. We know how it's going to end. We know what's going on. How in the world can we not go out and tell people about Jesus Christ? What's holding us back? Yeah, right now we're not in heaven yet. We're here. And we may not be able to comprehend all that's coming. But one day, we will be like him. We will be with him. For we shall see him as he is. What kind of people ought we ought to be? How should we act? How should we carry on? How can we carry on? It is comforting to read the rest of the story and know that we live happily ever after. If you know Christ, what a gift. But how can you live next door to somebody who doesn't know Christ and still celebrate? That coworker, that fellow student, that family member. I did my mother's graveside last Wednesday. A great deal of my family does not know Christ, doesn't want to know him. Can I tell you how heartbreaking that was? It was very tempting not to mention Jesus, so I didn't offend them, but I couldn't do that. So I shared the gospel, gave them another chance to hear it, another chance to believe, because I don't want any of my family to be separated from God. I wanted them to live happily ever after. Let's stand together as we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Oh my goodness, Revelation is so full of truth, 
so encouraging. Yes, the, the journey has been difficult at times. And that's because humanity rebelled against God. God must judge sin. God must deal with sin. There's nobody immune to that. But ironically, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, loved us so much that He came to this earth, clothed Himself in flesh, and allowed every sin, every, every foul thing, every evil thought, every perversion, every, every human, human dysfunction that you can imagine, past, present, and future, till the end of the story was poured upon Him. We talked in Sunday school of His betrayal and sacrifice. He died for you and me. He was buried and rose again from the dead. And Jesus said, one day I will eat, drink of the, of the vine with you again in my kingdom. Oh, in other words, Jesus was telling us, happily ever after is coming. But until then, what kind of people are we? Are we going to live lives purified and surrender to him because of that knowledge? Seeking to bring our friends and relatives, our neighbors co-workers to Christ are we just going to walk out of this building and not worry about it I hope you, hear, you are here and you know Christ as Savior I hope you've trusted him he died for you He's buried. he was buried and rose again from the dead would you trust him if you've never done that you can't save yourself you can't earn it Jesus Christ bought and paid for heaven for you you must just go to him own your sinfulness and receive him by faith but if you're here and you do know Christ as Savior, you know the rest of the story. As a matter of fact, you've heard the story from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22. You know the story. You know what's coming. You know that through Christ you will live happily ever after. How will that affect you today? How will that affect you this week? And what will you do for it? Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Father, we thank you that you loved us not only enough to die for us and to save us. Lord, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. But Father, you loved us enough to provide us information. You've told us through the book of Revelation how the story is going to wrap up. The story that we're living now, how this world is going to wrap up. And Father, through Jesus Christ, those who believe on him will live happily ever after with you. Oh my goodness. Father, I pray that that continues to make a mark on my life and these who are here. We rejoice in that, we celebrate in that, but Father, we're grieved at those we know and love who don't know that. Well, Father, grieve us enough that we reach out to them. Make us uncomfortable. Break us until we go and share our heart with our friends, family, and relatives and neighbors. Father, I pray that you will light a fire at West Concord Baptist Church that Satan cannot put out. Start with me. But Father, at the end of the day, we thank you that through Christ, we will live happily ever after. We praise you for that and thank you in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.